Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Daily Daf Differently. My name is Rabbi Abby Soslin. Today we are studying Masechet Yivamot, Kuf Yud Gimel, page 113. Our Daf today continues the discussion of children and deaf-mute who marry. In the last few lines on yesterday's Daf, the Gemara distinguished between the right of refusal, mi'un, that a minor may use, but that a chereshet, a deaf-mute woman, may not use. Mi'un is a right that the rabbis created for a child. If a young girl's father dies before she arrives at the age of consent, her mother or her brothers may marry her as a child, but when she reaches the age of 12, she is permitted to reject the marriage. She has the right of refusal, mi'un. A deaf-mute woman does not have that right. So the question at the bottom of yesterday's daf was, why? Why is there a difference between these two categories of young women or women who will be married? Maishna, what is the difference between kitana dimima'ana, a young girl, a minor, who may perform mi'un, who may use the right of refusal, v'chereshet, and a deaf mute, dilo mima'ana, who may not reject her marriage. The answer lies at the top of our daf. The answer is de'im kain for if it were permitted, if so, mimane velo naspe la. He will refuse and not marry her. If it were permitted for a deaf mute to reject the marriage, then she would be able to do so throughout her entire life. There would be no end point to her permission to do so. She will always be deaf-mute, and she will always, therefore, be able to reject the marriage. According to Rashi, at the top of our daf, ho'il u le'olam hi yechola lema'en mitne chershita, since she will always be permitted to refuse the marriage because of her deaf-mute status. Aval kitana, but a young girl. Givul yeshla. There is a boundary to when she is permitted to perform mi'un. Visavar, and the husband will assume, the husband will think, mifaisnala kol shata that he will be able to appease her. He will be able to please this young girl the entire time until she is ready to uh, reach the age of consent. So he can last until she is 12. The idea is that a man will think, oh, I don't want to marry a deaf mute because at any moment she may cancel the marriage and I can't keep going my whole life. I don't want to marry a woman who at any moment may terminate the, the marriage. The assumption here is that um, Rashi understands a man's brain and he says that men don't want to marry a woman who could terminate the marriage at any time. Since she will always be able to refuse, 
she's not an appealing option for a man. But with a katana, there is a gvul. With a minor, there's a boundary, and a man will think he can please her the whole time, at least until she arrives at her age of refusal, until she's 12. At 12, she will agree to marry him. Rashi's explaining his best understanding of the way that a man's mind might work. And here again, we might think that this Gemara with Rashi's explanation is being a bit, uh, for lack of a better term, creepy. Really, a man thinks he can keep a young girl happy until she is 12? And then what is he planning? But once again, the rabbis are using their best understanding of human nature. And they want men to marry Chayrashot. They want men to marry deaf-mute women because they want deaf-mute women to have husbands. For me, it is essential to remember that in the ancient world, being married was the best way for a woman to stay safe and to be kept from that minhag hefker that we have read about, that sexual exploitation that we've been hearing about, that the rabbis were really trying to protect the women in their communities from. So here, one might argue they're trying to protect deaf-mute women and to allow these women their best opportunities to be married off. The idea that the rabbis are in the business of protecting those in society who are most vulnerable is actually strengthened on this stuff, and I, I really believe it. If we look at the story of Rabbi Malchio, which is brought down in the middle of Amod Aleph, we will see another example of this. Hahu Cheresh Bishvivute de Rav Malchio. This is about a deaf mute man who lived in the neighborhood of Rav Malchio. Anspe Itita, Rav Malchio, married this man off to a woman. Vekatavla Arba Meazuza Vinichse. Uh, Rav Malchio wrote this woman a ketubah with 400 zuzim from the deaf-mute man's property. The Gemara here is sure to highlight Rav Malchio's action to say that this is not only an appropriate action, it is the right measure, and it is a measure of Rav Malchio's greatness that he thought to do this. Amar Rav, man chakim ki Rav Malchio, who is as wise as Rav Malchio? Gavra Rabahu, he is really a great man. So here's what I'm getting from this daf. The Gemara here seems to be presenting the Rav Malchio story to suggest that the point of all of this is to marry people off, including those in society who might not otherwise manage to find an appropriate spouse. Thus, the young girl is offered the right of refusal, mi'un, at her age of consent because the rabbis for them, this seems to be the best way to protect her. The Chereshet is not offered the same right because the rabbis think that they are protecting her in the same way that they think Rav Malchio is doing the same thing here. The rabbinic world, I like to believe, is at least based on a set of principles that aim to create a society where the most vulnerable are kept safe. And throughout history, it was this very desire, perhaps combined with the desire to keep society stable as well, that led the rabbis to shift their legal understanding of many of these issues. One thing that I find particularly hopeful is that there are some rabbinic authorities today who aim to shift these laws based on their understanding of what women and men may find safest today. 
I was very moved by the recent blog post of Jonathan Ziering, a yeshiva student at Yeshivat Har Etzion. Har Etzion, which is also called the Gush, is a Hezder Yeshiva in Alon Shvut, an Israeli community near Jerusalem. So you might think that a bunch of guys in a settlement would just move through the Talmudic text without questioning it, but that is not what they do at the Gush. What they do instead, I think, should give all of us hope. When studying Talmud, Ziering writes, it is easy to be desensitized to the real-life implications of even the most sensitive issues. And he mentions rape, for example. To combat that, the yeshiva arranges presentations to ensure that the students actually fully grasp what's at stake in discussions of rape and sexual assault. One of them was meant to highlight the human dimensions and it therefore avoided both Jewish legal and secular legal issues. The yeshiva invited the director of the Rape Crisis Center for Religious Women in Tel Aviv at, to speak at a presentation. And um, she herself, Yonina Fallenberg, said that to speak to this group without any particular um, event highlighted for her that the yeshiva understood that the greatest Torah, and this is a quote, the greatest Torah is that which is connected to reality. I love this. Because while our daf does not directly relate to rape or to sexual assault, it is useful to know that there are yeshiva bachers out there and many, many women who have studied this and who are now becoming halachic decisors who are considering the actual perspective of women in thinking through modern halacha. This seems a very far cry from the assumptions that often accompany Talmudic discussions. We rarely see a woman's perspective quoted or referenced at all, and it's good to know that at least that is beginning to change. So if we approach the Talmud as a text that is designed in its very best way to be helpful and protective, the rabbis were trying their very best to protect the vulnerable. And we also combine it with the real-life perspective from real people today, women, the, uh, deaf mutes, as we mentioned yesterday, who today have a very different status in society, a real shot at creating a society that in fact does protect those who need protection, but on their own terms and with their own voices leading the way. May this be a model that we see in more and more communities. Can you hear at zone? Until tomorrow. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.